This is Real Estate Rookie episode 356. Today we have the Data Deli himself, Dave Meyer. And you guys might know Dave. He is the host of the Bigger Pockets on the Market podcast. He's the VP of Digita at Bigger Pockets and just an all around really awesome and intelligent guy. And I love talking to him. Um, and today he's got a new book out. It's called Start with a Strategy. And we're going to talk a little bit about how strategy should be playing into your journey as a rookie real estate investor. And guys, this is probably one of the most overlooked things I've seen rookies do. So make sure to pay attention in all of today's episode because you're going to get some good stuff. And as always, I'm Ashley Kerr, joined by my co-host, Tony J. Robinson. And you're listening to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Today, we're going to learn that investing is more than just running analysis. Today, we'll get into three of the five things you need to evaluate when you are starting in real estate, or maybe you need to even reevaluate to hone in your real estate strategy. So this will include personal values, transactional income plan, and a resource audit. Have you guys done any of those before? And we may even have a little bit of time to get into some market predictions from our favorite data wrangler to see what he has in sight for 2024. Dave, welcome back to the show and happy new year. Thank you, Ashley, Tony. Happy new year. It's great to be here. So is this your, maybe your third time on the show with us? Maybe even more. I, I think you're one of the few that has been on several times with us. Yeah, I think I have. And it's been a long time that I feel like it's been a year or two since we've done this. So I'm glad to be back and talking about this topic, which I think is particularly useful for rookies. So I think this will be a great discussion. And Dave, part of the reason you are here today is because you have a new book out too. So before we get any further, I'd love to just uh, hear a little bit about your book. The book is called Start With Strategy. And the basic idea is to help real estate investors sort of develop a business plan for the real estate investing business. We call it investing, but as everyone who's getting into this knows, real estate is really entrepreneurship. And just like any business person, anyone who's starting a company, you need to have a strategy and a plan that you're going to follow, not just for your first year, but sort of figure out what goals you're aiming for in the long run and work backwards to decide how you're going to get there. And so the book is a framework. It's super interactive, but also provides a lot of background context on how Every individual, no matter what experience level you have, can come up with a strategy that's personalized to you and your preferences, goals, and all that. So Dave, do you have maybe a story that you can kind of share with us as to a reason as to maybe why you decided to write this book or why it's important to start with strategy? Why did you even think of this? Yeah. So I think we all experience this in real estate where you get overwhelmed by how many amazing choices there are. There's so many good ways to invest. And I just, it's hard to pick. And I think I see this all the time, both I've experienced it and see with other investors that you don't really know what to do first because you don't necessarily know where you want to end up. And I have experienced this quite a lot in my life. Like right, when I was right out of college, I wanted to do so many different things with my life. I wanted to sort of travel and be a backpacker. I thought about going into finance. I wanted to be a ski bum. And I was really sort of struggling to figure out what to do next because I didn't really have an idea of what I want it, what I wanted my life to be in the long run. And I actually, I went out to, to breakfast with my grandfather and I was explaining him my, my young angst about not knowing what I wanted to do with my life. So I asked him, you know, what should I do next? And he pulled out some old Alice in Wonderland quote and basically said, I'm going to butcher this, but paraphrasing it basically said, if you don't know where you want to end up in your life, it doesn't really matter what you do next because any path will lead you to somewhere. And unless you have a destination in mind, uh, it's really irrelevant. And I've, I've thought about that a lot throughout my life and it's guided a lot of my decisions, but I think it's true in real estate as well where people want to figure out, do you want to flip houses? Do you want to be a rental property investor? Do you want to quit your job? When really all of those answers, you can't really come up with answers to them unless you have an idea of where you want to be at the end of your investing career. And that's sort of what inspired me to write this book was helping people 
plan, you know, figure out what they want and then plan backwards. Dave, I think you bring up a, a really good point. And I, I want to comment on that. First, I just want to clarify the quote because I think it's such a good quote. I actually looked it up right now. And Alice says, she's talking to the Cheshire cat. She says, would you please tell me which way I should go from here? And the cat says, well, that depends on where you want to go. Alice says, I don't really care where I go. And the cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. Thank you. Thank you. My grandfather would be very proud, happy that you actually got the <laughs> I think it's such an important thing, Dave, for rookies to understand because you are kind of inundated with all these different options when you first start. There's different asset classes. There's single family. There's small multifamily. There's large multifamily. There's storage parks. There's you know everything else you can think of. And then within those, you can you can flip. You can wholesale. You can hold long term. You can do turnkey. Hold like there's so many different strategies. And I think what what most people get caught up on is that they want to try a little bit of everything, which maybe isn't bad to begin with. Just to kind of see which makes the most sense for you. But I think after time. You've really got to dig deep into one strategy to get good at that thing. And the goal is that it does align with your long-term goals of where it is you want to be, you know? And I always tell people, like, when you're investing in real estate, you've got to look at what what your motivations are. Is it cash flow? Is it tax benefits? Is it appreciation? Is it you want to just have a vacation home that someone subsidizes the cost for? All those things kind of tie into what strategy makes the most sense for you. So I, I guess for you, Dave, after you had that conversation with your grandfather, like, what was the... What was the realization you had about what does Dave want out of real estate investing? Yeah, it took me a while. And ultimately, when I was I was maybe 22 at the time, I felt very conflicted about two different paths in life. Like part of me really just wanted to like be a hedonist. I'd like to ski and I just like to hang out with my friends. So I kind of wanted to do that. The other part of me has a lot of frankly, just financial anxiety. And so I really wanted to, <laughs> to make a lot of money to have more stable income. And I felt very torn and ultimately just decided that like, my goal for my career in life was to to find a way to do both. I, I really was like dead set on having fun, having great relationships with my friends and family, but still making money and not making a trade-off because it's easy to make a trade-off. Like if you want to make a lot of money, you can work a lot of hours or you can just have fun, but that comes with financial consequences. And so I sort of set out to find a way to do this. And then I discovered real estate investing and I was like, this is the way that I'm going to do it. It's a perfect way to strike the balance between you know, living a life that you actually enjoy and providing yourself and your family with financial security. And that's what got me into real estate in the first place. You just mentioned having some anxiety. How does that actually play into making that decision? Yeah. I mean, I think I just ultimately, realistically, like my, my upbringing, my parents were sort of fine financially for a while. And then it all like exploded and melted down very quickly um, for my family and put us in a, a difficult situation for a couple of years. And uh, that just stuck with me. And I kind of had always had this feeling that, you know, your career could go away. Like my dad lost his job for a while. And, you know, like I just didn't want to be in that position. And it always sort of stuck with me. And I was always hustling and trying to make side businesses and working two jobs in, in college and, and after school even. Um, and that was great because it made me feel better about my financial situation. But I also, you know, was in my early 20s and wanted to do stuff. And so I, I felt like I really needed to find a better balance and not just sort of only focus on this financial anxiety that I have and um, find like a healthier way to deal with it than overworking. But we have to go into break here. But real quick, where do we actually start with this? Like, what is the starting point? You had mentioned, you know, you need to know where your destination is. What what would you call that like, starting piece? If we're on the game board of, you know, we're playing some kind of Alice in Wonderland board game here and we're trying to pick like I've, I'm envisioning Candyland in my head. Like, which way do we want to go? Where, what is that first step that, that goal, that destination, the, you know, the big Candyland castle, what do you call that? And how should everybody be looking at that as their first step? If you guys are enjoying this episode with Dave, you can get more from Dave and other real estate experts in a brand new multi-day virtual summit that is happening January 29th to February 2nd. Get prepared to be successful in 2024. So this is going to be a four-day summit that is exclusive 
for pro members with some access for free members. So make sure you upgrade to that pro membership before January 29th. Visit biggerpockets.com slash virtual summit to get all the details on Dave Meyer and the real estate experts on how to access this exclusive event and to register. Let's hear a word from our show sponsor. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent to retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Okay, welcome back from our short break. Dave is going to get into your first step. So we had mentioned playing the game Candyland. You're trying to figure out your path. There's the Candyland castle at the end. What is that? What is the game piece? What is the first thing that you need to decide and build out and plan before you can actually build out your whole strategy? Dave, what would you call that piece? For me, the whole place, the destination you're trying to achieve is what I call a vision. I try and recraft this every single year, try and make sure that I'm still pointing in the right direction. But there are subcomponents of vision, right? You know, you have financial goals, you might have what you're your job is going to be, some professional goals. But for me, the first thing I always reevaluate is what I call my personal values. And I know this doesn't necessarily sound like real estate investing, but I think it's super important to figure out sort of why you're investing and what you are, why you're doing this in the first place and what you actually value in your life. And this is common in businesses, right? Like we don't talk about it as much in real estate investing, but every Fortune 500 company has values. They have a mission statement, you know? And so I encourage people to do that for themselves. It's something I do for myself by creating or sort of tweaking my own personal values each year to make sure that everything I do in real estate or in 
really in my whole professional life is aligned with sort of the life that I want to live. Yeah, Ash, I know for me, I probably haven't done a good enough job of creating like, you know, a value statement, I think, for my real estate business. Um, Have you put any thought into that, Ash? I actually had a consulting company that I was working with last year that helped me with um, doing a little bit of uh, planning and writing out like my mission statement and um, the vision for the company because we were hiring for a couple of virtual assistants. And it was the thing that I procrastinated on the most <laughs> out of like really all of the stuff that I had to get to them. That was like the thing. And they're like, you know what? We're going to send you this form. Just fill out this form and we'll help you do that. And even like sell them. But um, and they kind of piece it all together by doing a really good job of asking me certain questions that could help them understand. OK, like we think this is what you would want your mission statement to be. And then I would read it and tweak it and change it a little bit. But that helped me. But as far as like sitting down and drawing a blank board or like Googling other companies' core mission (laughs) mission (laughs) statements, their values, what are their five pillars? You know, like um, always been very difficult for me to do that. Because I'm just like, just sit down and do the work. Like, I don't care. Like they're whatever company culture, things like that. But I know that it is really important in things that you should do. And I, I definitely learned a lot last year doing it with that consultant. Uh, I guess, Dave, what's what's your what's your guidance for that rookie investor who's maybe never taken the time to sit down and think about values? How does one even come up with that list? And is it 50 values? Is it five values? Like just walk us through maybe some tactical sex and actually putting that together. Sure. Well, first I'll say I I definitely identify with this. I came across this idea of personal values from uh, an executive coach that I worked with for a few years. And she was like, you have to do these values. And I was like, man, I've got so many other problems to deal with. Like, this is the last thing I'm going to do. And finally, after maybe six months of nagging me, I sat down and did it. And it's honestly changed my life, maybe more than any other professional thing I've done. And I know that sounds strange if you've never done the exercise, but the way my coach Lauren um, had put it to me was your vi- your values are the things that you can't live without in your life. So she encouraged me to come up with no more than five personal values. And you really, it's hard. Like you really have to think about it. But she gave me a list of basically words. It was like 50 words. And this is in the book. Um, we sort of have a template for it. But circle any words that sort of resonate with you that are important to you. And then you basically go through this pruning process of narrowing down what things are really important to you. And it's hard because, you know, everyone wants to, most people aspire to have a lot of these things. They're words like honesty, integrity, trust, you know, adventure, like those all sound pretty good. But as we all know, as human beings, like you sort of have to make trade-offs. You can't be everything. And so you need to sort of narrow down what you want. And ultimately, I was able to get it down to five things that are super important to me. And I use that, yes, in real estate investing all the time. And I'll explain that in a minute. But I just use it in my job. I use it in my friendships and how I choose to spend my time every day. Um, and I can just share them with you. For me, the, the, the five are uh, growth, just like personal growth, adventure, uh, freedom, mental and physical health, and meaningful relationships. And so I look back at those all the time. Like if I think about, do I want to write another book? I have to decide, like, is that going to impede on any of my values or is it going to support my values? Or if I decide, do I want to flip a house? Like, is that working in alignment with the things that I that matter to me in my life or not? And it really just has helped me improve my decision-making skills a lot. And that applies to real estate for sure. Dave, I appreciate you sharing that. And one question that it makes me think of is, do you always feel that those values are in equilibrium, like where they're always perfectly balanced? Or do you find yourself kind of going through seasons where maybe you prioritize one value over the other? Because that's something that I've found as I've kind of progressed in you know, life and in entrepreneurship and in business is that sometimes you have these seasons where you can really focus in on, on one piece of your life. And there's other seasons where you got to kind of shift that focus towards something else. So is is your goal to always keep those perfectly balanced or just to kind of be within range, but sometimes you got to shift resources and priorities? That's a great question. I wish it was easy to do all of them and keep them all in balance, but I think that's it's unrealistic. I think the key is to, if you're going to live outside of 
some of your values that it's a conscious decision. Like sometimes I'll prioritize work and that means I'll have less adventures or maybe I'll spend a little bit less time with my friends for a couple of months. But that's a decision I'm making to pursue another one of my values or something else that's really important to me. I'm not just sort of letting this happen to me and and sort of just making decisions willy-nilly based on whatever opportunity comes up. Um, because like you said, it's impossible, but I think it's important to know like, okay, I'm going to take a step back from this. But knowing that to sort of live the life you want, you sort of have to get back closer to equilibrium at some point. So Dave, you had also mentioned one of those uh, beliefs that were important to you was uh, personal relationships. So how does this impact your your investing, your your personal core values per se? The way it, it mostly impacts me is that I actually pretty significantly limit the amount of time I'm willing to in- spend investing in real estate. I know it sounds silly for someone who's does this for a living, but I work full time. And so my real estate investing portfolio is above and beyond my job at bigger pockets. And I find that if I were flipping houses or doing burrs or, you know, really trying to grow my portfolio as quickly as humanly possible, I would run out of time for the meaningful relationships that I want to prioritize. And so I actually will talk, we can talk about this later, but like for me, my goal is like 20 hours a month on my portfolio or less on average. Um, And that for me gives me enough time to pursue sort of the meaningful relationships that I have outside of real estate. Now, for some people that could mean, you know, being close with the people you work with. I live in Europe and so I almost exclusively invest passively. And so I don't have a lot of opportunity to build meaningful relationships with the people I invest in real estate with. And so I need to sort of limit and sort of compartmentalize my real estate investing so that I can find those meaningful relationships elsewhere in my life. All right, guys. So Dave, so much good information that you've shared already as expected. Uh, But coming up, we're going to cover how to audit your personal resources. But before we go there, Dave, can you tell me what exactly is a transactional income plan and how does that add to this vision that you've talked about so far? Transactional income is just a source of making money that's outside of investing. So like a job is basically transactional income, but there are types of real estate that are transactional as well, like flipping a house or being a real estate agent, for an example. And I think one of the things that I struggled with early in my career, and I see a lot of rookies struggle with, is trying to figure out what they're going to do full-time and if they should make real estate investing a full-time job. And to me, it's super important in your vision to figure out whether or not you want to make real estate a full-time job, or it's going to be something you do on the side, because that will really help you narrow down the options that you have as a real estate investor to just the ones that make sense. Some are easy, whether you work full-time or not. Others really only make sense for people who are full-time into real estate. And I think making that distinction is very important and helpful for setting your strategy. Dave, one one thing that makes me think about, right? Like so, so many people in our rookie audience are focused on walking away from their day jobs and understandably so, right? Um, but I think some people almost get too excited about that idea sometimes. They lose sight of how important that transactional income is to their goals of building their their real estate portfolio. And it, it makes me think, someone shared this analogy with me before, but um, have you guys heard of the term escape velocity? It's like you have to you have to travel a certain speed to break Earth's gravitational pull. And if you don't travel fast enough, you'll get to a certain height and then Earth is just going to pull you back down, right? And it's a similar concept for real estate investing. If you step away from your W-2 job too soon, you haven't yet reached the speed to reach uh, escape velocity. You're just going to get pulled back down to reality. And you know, I've seen people, I've met people who have maybe pulled the trigger too soon, and then they have to go back out into the workforce again because they weren't quite ready to, to step aside on their own. So there's a lot of benefit to keeping your day job. And I think the goal is to get to a point where you've, you know, 1.5x or 2x your your you know what you need to survive on before you pull that trigger. Even then, if you have hit that 2x, that 3x, whatever that amount is, is if you're able to do both things too, and you enjoy your job and you enjoy you know being a passive investor, then you know that's something you can do too. I think there is that big misconception of 
I haven't reached financial freedom until I've quit my job. Well, no, that's not true. Like you may, you can still make it as a real estate investor and still carry on a W-2. That's even more impressive if you're able to balance out both than just, you know what, I have to quit my job because my properties are so overwhelming. I need to manage them and take care of them. Uh, so yeah, I agree. I think that's a, a common misconception is that you you know, you need to build your real estate and then quit your job and then you're free and everything's wonderful and great. But like in the US, one thing is health insurance. That's actually an incredible uh, difficulty once you become an entrepreneur and you don't have that anymore. So it's not always just the pay, it's the benefits too. I think you both hit on really important topics here. And I think it's really just comes down to like what you want out of life. Because I think most people say, oh, I want to quit so I can work on real estate full time. That might make sense for you, but you have to recognize in 90% of those cases, you're just trading one job for another job. So you're trading your W2 job for working at real estate full time. Like I'm making presumption, but both of you work in real estate full time and I'm sure it still feels like you have a job, right? So it's like comes, it's really up to what provides you. To me, it's just two questions, right? What provides you with more resources and what provides you with the most fulfillment? Because if you have a job that you don't like, but it gives you a lot of money to invest or a lot of time to invest or skills that you can bring to your portfolio, you may want to stay in your job. Or even if you just really like your job and you're fulfilled by it, that's a trade-off that you might be willing to take. So for me, I only recommend people quit their job and go into real estate full-time if it will move them up on one of those spectrums. Like, is it going to improve the amount of money you're going to make or the time that you have to invest? Or is it going to make you feel more personally fulfilled? Then you might want to consider it, but don't just do it because people on Instagram are doing it and, and like make it seem like that's the ultimate goal of, of real estate. Well, last thing I'll say about the, the, like the personal income piece is that what I've found, what I've seen from other folks is that the fastest way to grow your real estate portfolio, um, you know, unless you're doing like creative finance or, or you've, you know, you got capital partners, but if you want to use your own money from your own W2 job is to grow the amount of money you make in your day job. And oftentimes, the fastest way to do that is to leave to another company. I know for myself, I got, I don't know, like a 45% pay increase by going from one company to the next. You know, and it's crazy to think that someone who's never seen you work before is willing to pay you 45% more than a company you've been at for years. But that's typically the case. And there was this study, I can't remember, I wish I knew the exact numbers, but it looked at people who like job hopped every 24 to 36 months versus someone who stayed at the same job. And they they lined those people up after like 15 years. And the people who job hopped made exponentially more than the people who stayed at the same company. So if you're looking for a way to shovel, right, then focus on maybe looking at a new, uh, a new position with a new company. Didn't they say that's the problem with the... Yeah, don't... Can we tell that to bigger pockets? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <but it's> like, <laughs> you know, it's like they always reward like the new customers. Like they're like, buy, you know, come to Verizon and we'll give you a new cell phone. You're like, I've been here for years. Like give me the new cell phone. I've been coming yeah. to you forever. It's like the same idea with jobs, right? Like you, you, People, they need to incentivize people to leave something that's comfortable a lot of the time. And so I, I, it makes sense. And I think there are a lot of, I think the other thing, in addition to making more money too, is like, if you want to grow your portfolio, but you're working 70 hours a week, like, can you find a job that maybe you make even the same amount of money, but you work 40 hours a week? That opens up a whole lot of time where you can be looking for deals or networking or doing all this other stuff that could help grow your portfolio. So I just think thinking critically about your job and like how it supports your investing is really important. And it's not just, you know, how quickly can I leave it? It's, you know, is this helping me get to ultimately where I want to go? And for some people, the answer might be, yes, you should quit your job. Like if your vision is, Hey, I want to leave my job in five years. You can make that happen sometimes, you know, some people can make that happen. But if you know that, hey, I want to keep working for 20 more years, that's going to open up so many more real estate investing strategies to you. You can take on more risk. You can think more long term, more markets are going to be available to you. So knowing where you stand on that spectrum will be super helpful. We're going to take a short 
break real quick. And then we're going to be back and just follow up talking about a resource audit and what you can do today. And then we're going to go into a little bit of 2024 predictions. When Bigger Pockets started podcasting, no one thought we needed a store, but then books, so many books, best-selling books, rookie books, partnership books. We needed the best real estate bookstore ever, so we chose Shopify. <laughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch stage to the first order stage to the, did we just sell out the whole store stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling real estate books or retro clothing, Shopify's platform helps you sell everywhere, online or in person. Now, speaking of online, did you know Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better than other leading commerce platforms? And no matter how big you grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control of your business. And that's why we chose Shopify for the bigger pocket bookstore. So sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash BP rookie, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash BP rookie now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash BP rookie. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the show. So Dave, one of the, the third thing that we wanted to kind of finish up here and talk about is doing a resource audit. So what is this that something somebody can implement today? And maybe is this something you're going to continuously do throughout the year or maybe once a year? Resource audit is basically looking at the various resources that you have today 
to contribute to your portfolio. And this is really just helpful in figuring out what you should do next. As I sort of, we were talking about earlier about like money or capital is obviously a very important resource for real estate investors. It's a, it's a, it is a capital intensive business. And so knowing how much capital you have is super important. But one of the things I personally love about real estate investing is that you can get by or get started even if you don't have capital. There are other resources like time and skills that you can contribute to a portfolio to help you get started. And as long as you have one of those three things, you're able to build a portfolio. Just a small example, when I got started, I I had no money, I had no skills, but I had a lot of time. And so I used that time to go find deals. I used it to self-manage a property that I basically only earned sweat equity in. And that was able to to get me started. And so even if you're new and thinking, I want to get into real estate in 2024, but I don't have a lot of money, figure out what you do have. Because there are things that you can contribute. If you have time or skill, like I said, you can find ways to use those resources to get into real estate. But for me, the first step is just like figuring out what you got. You got time, you got skills, you got money. If you don't have any of them, it's going to be hard. But if you have at least one of those three, there is a path forward to you for you. You know, Ash and I talk about this in our book, uh, Real Estate Partnerships, where every real estate deal, it's like a puzzle, right? And and certain people have certain puzzle pieces and they're missing other puzzle pieces. So if you have time, if you have the ability to analyze deals, maybe you're lacking capital or maybe you're lacking the ability to get approved for a mortgage, Go find someone else that can plug those pieces in for you. And then the two of you work together to take that deal down. Or if the inverse is true, where maybe you have the capital, you have the ability to get the, the debt, but you're a physician who works 90 hours a week or something crazy like that. And you know, you don't have the time. Go find, you know, some young college kid who just graduated or something like that, who's got a, an abundance of time that can do that legwork for you. So it's all about finding that puzzle piece that matches with what it is you're missing as a real estate investor. That's such a good analogy. It's so true. And it changes over time. Like if you start without capital, that's okay. Like you just hustle and learn some skills, use your time. For most investors, I find that that's how almost everyone I know started is like, they didn't have a lot of money, but they just kind of hustled their way into it. And then over time, as you have more capital, usually you buy other people's time or you buy their skill set um, to, to help you grow. And so that's why I think it's useful to do this like once a year, just be like, all right, now I have less time than I used to have, um, but I have more capital. So here's given that reality, I need to change my portfolio in XYZ ways, you know? So it just sort of helps you figure out what to do next. Dave, how do you evaluate those skills for yourself when you're looking at yourself? What skill sets do I have? Is there a way to kind of do an evaluation on yourself? And just to preface that, I think it's such an important question, Ash, because a lot of rookies, they're not self-aware as to what value they bring. So I think this is going to be super practical advice, Dave. Oh, good. Yeah. So I, I think this is, again, I agree with you, Tony, this is one of the things that most people overlook uh, because there are a lot of skills. And I think, so basically in the shortest example, I have a list of skills. I have one in the book, but you can really look on bigger pockets. I'm sure there's other places of lists of skills that you need. And I think the two important things to think about are one, how good am I at it today? And two, like, how hard would it be for me to learn this skill? And I think that's the one that people really overlook because it's easy to start and be like, I'm bad at all of these and I'm going to try and learn all of them. And that is where so many people go wrong. I went deeply wrong here. I was like, I'm going to be super handy. I'm going to start building staircases and drawing drywall. And I am so bad at it. Like I am just awful. There's no reason I should spend any time doing that. And so I go through these lists and just say to myself, like, just as an example, like finding deals, that's something I'm okay at. I'm not great at it. Um, you know, I know people who work full time in real estate are, who are much better at that better at that than I am. And I have a network, so I'm not going to probably do that much time, like learning how to do, you know, outreach to off-market deals. I'm, I'm going to rely on other people to do that. For deal analysis, that's something I'm good at. And that's something I'm going to contribute to my portfolio. When I talk about finance and tax, that's actually something I have professional experience with, but I hate it. So I'm going to pay someone to do it. I don't want to learn how to do it. So I think it's just really important for people to be realistic about One, there's a lot of things you need to do 
that need to get done, let me say, you don't need to do them, but that need to get done for a real estate portfolio to be successful. You do not have to, nor should you do all of those things. And so I think it's really important to just focus on the ones that you like and that come easily to you and to outsource the other things. Um, it will save you a lot of time in the long run. And honestly, even it will, it might seem like it will save you money to try and do everything yourself, but take it from thousands of investors who have tried to do everything themselves. It does not save you money. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that too. Uh, Dave, I do have a question though, as far as like when you're picking your skill set and like the things you actually are going to do for your first property, your first business, whatever it may be, is there a preference you have or a way to kind of differentiate choosing between something you want to do but maybe know nothing about and have to take the time to learn or something that you do know, but you don't want to do it. So you had mentioned like finance and taxes, like you, you know, that stuff, you could do it, but you hate it. But maybe compared to doing drywall or whatever, you're actually super passionate about it. You want to learn it. Like it would be fun to get your hands dirty, but it's going to take you longer. You're not going to do as good of a job of doing it as someone. So is there any kind of balance where maybe you should do something you hate doing because you do know it or what I guess just what are your thoughts on that as far as like putting a value add to what your skill set is? That's a great question. I think it comes down to what other resources you have, because if you don't have a lot of capital or time and you're really relying on your skill set to grow your portfolio, you may have to contribute something you're not good at. Like I can imagine or know people who are contractors who don't really like it, but they want to get into real estate. It might be a good way for you to get in to use your skills as a contractor at, at the beginning while you build up those other resources. Um, so I think there are things like that. I also think there are certain skills that every real estate investor sort of just needs to have at least a baseline of. Um, to me, that's, you know, I call it portfolio strategy, but that's just sort of what we're talking about here is one, just like understanding where you want to be and how to, how real estate can get you there. Um, I think it's super important. Deal analysis, everyone needs to be able to do at least a basic level of deal analysis. You can't really outsource that. Um, I do think networking is also another skill that people overlook that you can't outsource. You can't have someone make relationships on your behalf. And so I think like those, there's certain things like whether you like it or not, you probably should learn those skills. Whereas things like taxes or, you know, property management, those things are easily outsourced. Um, so I guess that's another way you could look at it is like, Taxes, property managers, lawyers, like those are all things, contractors, you can hire those people easily. Could you hire someone easily to analyze single family rental properties for you? Probably not. And I, I think that, that it's probably just worth learning for yourself. So I would think about it that way. Yeah, that's great advice. The one thing that I would add to it too is like your own time and like the value on your time. And, you know, if you're considering, you know, okay, you say you have your W-2, you have a a side hustle, maybe a, a remodeling business. So you could go and you could stop remodeling for other clients and you could go and you could work on the house that you're flipping yourself. Well, what is actually the time value trade-off on that? As a contractor doing luxury remodels, are you making $100 per an hour? But if you go and do your own flip and you do the math and after three months of flipping this house, you only ended up making $50 an hour. So would it have been more cost effective to actually just hire somebody else out to do it? And then you go and maintain doing your um, flips. And then you ended up, you know, netting the same amount, $50 or whatever it may be, because they were able to work all day and then ended up selling the property in a month instead of the three months because you had to do it at night, things like that too, I think are important to take into consideration as to your time value. And that even goes back to quitting your job. Are you going to be working more hours, but actually making less being a real estate investor because you're spending more time on it than what you would if you would actually go to a W-2 and you could hire out? Yeah, it's a, it, it, a lot of times, Ash, I think does come down to the numbers and kind of what makes more sense as you, you kind of lay everything out. And I think the mistake that a lot of rookies make is that they just kind of go with their gut and they don't really back it up with a, a kind of a, a deeper analysis here. Um, one thing I just wanted to comment on, Dave, you, you mentioned like being able to outsource the networking. I actually read in this book and it was called... Um, I think it was called Book Yourself Solid. It was like an old marketing book that I read like years ago. But um, he actually did have this process for outsourcing some of his networking where he had someone on his team 
that like every month they would just send out emails to people like on his, you know, in his database, whatever it was, it'd be something simple like, Hey Dave, you know, see, you got a birthday coming up this month. Hope all is well. And then when they replied, he would reply himself, but he had his team going through and sending emails through his inbox for these different little things. And he would just reply when, when those came in. So super ninja trick and probably beyond what, what our rookies are working on right now, but it could be an easy way to, to build that out. All right. What I really want to talk to you about, Dave, um, and what I'm most excited to hear your thoughts on are your predictions for this year. Obviously, 2023 was a crazy year for real estate. We came off this high that we saw in 2021 and in early 2022, where interest rates, you know, interest rates peaked to their highest in, in decades. Um, I know I lost money on a flip. I have friends who lost money on flips. We have, you know, commercial real estate is going through this crazy cycle. What are you seeing for 2024? And I guess first, what I'll ask you is, where do you think interest rates are going to go? Are they going to hold steady? Are they going to go up? Are they going to come down? Oh boy, my favorite topic. So I uh, let me just tell you, I actually did very well in interest rate predictions in 2023 and very poorly in 2022. So let's just, uh, let's take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> My, just so everyone knows, um, my, my general feeling is that interest rates are not going to move as much as people think. Um, they're in the high sixes as of this recording. I'm going to give you a broad guess and say, I think they will end with the first number still being a six at the end of, at, at the end of this year is my guess. I, I'm hopeful that they might come down into the low sixes, but I, I just want to explain that a little bit. So we hit a, a, about a high of about 8% uh, average 30-year fixed mortgage rate in October of 2023. And they've come down a little bit um, as bond yields have fallen. The Fed has signaled that they're going to cut rates next year. And that's encouraging. All of that is very encouraging. The thing is, the market the you know mortgage companies and bond investors who really set mortgage rates are already pricing those things in. So a lot of the declines that we are are expecting or that the Fed is signaling are now priced into mortgage rates. And so we've already experienced some of the benefit of what is planning to happen next year. And so if the Fed stays on course and does exactly what they said they're going to do, which let's talk about their track record over the last three years, never happens. So if they do that somehow, then we will probably have mortgage rates right where they are right now. But the Fed, the signaling is exactly that. They're not saying they're going to do three. They're very data reliant. And so they're going to change things as they need to and as inflation and the labor market change. And so my guess is they'll, they will cut rates a little bit, but it we we just don't know. And so I don't I think it's a little early to say that rates are going to get down into the fives. Hopefully they do. But I think that's a little early to say. Um, and, and my guess is that they're going to be more stubbornly high than I think a lot of people are hoping for. So we should buy a house right now or we shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's what I was going to hit on, too, Ash. Right. Because I, I think what a lot of people are doing right now is that they're they're waiting to buy that first real estate investment because they want to see rates come down to whatever rate. But my thought is that once rates dip, it's going to be a bloodbath because you're going to have so many people that are sitting on the on the on the sidelines jumping back into the market and we could get to a point where it's, you know, people are going 10k, 100k over asking again like it was a few years ago. And you can always refinance your rate, but you can't refinance your purchase price, right? Like I can't go back to the bank and say, hey, I know I bought this for 300000 but can I actually rebuy this today for two fifty? dollars and, and the bank's like, okay, cool. So Dave, what's, what's your advice to the rookies? Like, should we be waiting for rates to fall? Should we be pulling the trigger today? What's what's your what's your thoughts on that? I generally just don't believe in timing the market. That's just like I I study this full time and I don't know what's going to happen. I just want to make that very clear. And so I, I prescribe I believe more in just buying when you have the time and the financial resources to do it, uh, because at least if you're like me and investing on a 10 or 20 year time horizon, then you're probably going to be fine whenever you do it. And and I do think, Tony, there is some wisdom to what you're saying that prices, I think there is a good chance that if rates fall, we're going to see a very significant increase in competition. Uh, I think that is one of the more likely outcomes for 2024. Not necessarily will happen, but um, I think there is a good chance that happens. And so buying now when rates are, they have come down, um, uh, 
are going to is is wise. And I also just think like when people talk about quote unquote rates coming down, I find that people have wildly different expectations of what that means. I'll just say this. I think if we ever see mortgage rates in the three percent in our lifetime again, that I would be surprised and something will have gone terribly wrong with the economy like that. I just don't think that's going to happen. So could they come down to the fives? Yes. But like realistically, they're going to come down slowly. And so you have to think about how what what's your strike price? Like, OK, they're at six and three quarters now. You're waiting for three, six and a quarter. You're waiting for five and a half. You could be waiting two years for that, you know, and like during that time, who knows what could happen to the housing market? And so I just think like ultimately rates, they do matter. Um, it is important, but they're on, I would say, a positive trajectory now where we're probably not going to get a back up above, like maybe in the low sevens. And so if you find deals that make sense, you should go for them. And then if rates happen to go down, you can refinance. But um, I, I think the two things I always say to people is one, don't count on rates to go down. Like if your deal doesn't make sense and you're like, I'm going to buy it. And then when rates go down, in six months, I'll refinance. Then my deal will pencil. I don't generally recommend that because no one knows if rates are going to go down. It's it's something that's outside of our control. And the other thing is, if a deal makes sense with high rates, then it's going to make even more sense in low rates. So like, if you can find a deal right now, you might as well buy it. And then it can only go up from there. I think where some people got into trouble and could get into trouble is where they're over leveraging themselves. And then they're at the point where they have to refinance somehow, or they have to put financing on the property and when they ran their numbers at the property having a 4% interest rate, and now all of a sudden they have to actually get an 8% interest rate. And that has caused a lot of trouble the last couple of years, especially now if somebody went and they were doing, you know, rehabbing a property for a year, and now they're trying to go and refinance and the rate is very different from when they bought it. Like in New York State here, it can take you like three months to actually close on a property. And that's like, normal window of time. And so like those three months, like if you were buying a property and, you know, the end of 2021 and then didn't close until, you know, 2022, like even right then was starting to make a difference Then you have to rehab your property and then uh, the rate increase. So the best thing you can do is make sure you have multiple exit strategies on a property that you're, you know, you're not over leveraging yourself. You have some kind of backup plan if you are going and needing to refinance. And like Dave mentioned, he's long-term buy and hold most of his investments where he's not worried about having to go and refinance and get a rate. If the, the deal works, the numbers pencil, the day that he's buying it, what it's at and what his interest rate is, great. That's awesome. You could always go and refinance for that lower rate, but you're not at risk of having to be told, sorry, you're going to have to pay this higher interest rate. Um, there's also, you know, five-year ARM loans or even seven-year ARM loans where your mortgage is fixed for a certain amount of years and then it becomes adjustable. And that's where other people will get into trouble too, is that, you know, they got this lower interest rate for the first five years. And then when in those five years are up, it's going to adjust. So we actually did that on one property where it's a seven-year ARM and for seven years, it's like 5.12%, which is a great rate. And we got this a year ago, great rate at that time. And in seven years, that interest rate could go up to 13%. It has a max of 13%. And then I think a floor of 6%. So that would make just a tremendous difference in someone's mortgage payment if all of a sudden, you know, they haven't planned for that year seven and they have to go and refinance or it goes to that adjustable rate. But even if you're going to refinance, you're most likely going to be that high rate too. So having some way to get private money or you know have the cash to pay that off, things like that. So you want to kind of look at as to, should I invest now because of the interest rate or shouldn't I? It's based on what your strategy is. And that's the whole basis of today's episode is start with strategy. So you know if you're holding on to that property, who cares what you're like Tony said, you're going to buy it for cheaper right now with the higher interest rate so that when you go and sell it in 20 years, because you're ready to go move to the beach and sell everything, you're going to have paid less for it than somebody who waited and wanted that lower interest rate, but yet they had purchased their property for more. I think, Ashley, like you made a lot of great points. And one thing I wanted to second is that, you know, people 
focus a lot on what rates are and if they're up or down. I think there's benefits to both, right? Like it's more affordable when rates are low. There's less competition when rates are high. So if you're a real estate investor, there's there's pros and cons of each. For me, the thing I root for, I obviously have no control over that, but if I had my my druthers, I'd, I'd root for just stability or predictability. And I think we're getting to that point where rates are going to be more stable. And I think to make this, like that is just what you need to make a decision. Because as you said, Ashley, like that makes it so that if it deal pencils and you have to still wait two or three months to close, you have a reasonably high confidence that you're not going to be looking at a totally different monthly payment than you were a couple of months ago. And unfortunately, for the last two years, year and a half, that it's been really volatile and hard to make decisions. And so even though I'm not sure which way rates are going to go, if they're going to trend up a little bit, trend lower... I think they're going to be a lot more stable and like the band of that rates are is going to narrow. And so that just makes it easier for people to make decisions. And to me, that's one of the most important things in getting back to a healthy housing market more than rates going down to 5% or 4%. I think predictability really matters a lot in the psychology of home sellers and home buyers. Well, Dave, thank you so much for such incredible insight. Uh, we really appreciate you having having you on the show and uh, can you let everyone know where they can find uh, your new book, Start With Strategy? Yeah, absolutely. Go to biggerpockets.com slash strategy book. That is where you can find the book and it comes with all sorts of bonuses. And if you actually order it now, but it's still pre-order, you get a free uh, planner. So it's kind of like a journal that goes along with the book where you can actually develop your own investing strategy and business plan. Um, so if you buy that, if you go to uh, biggerpockets.com slash strategy book now, you can get that completely for free, which is a great deal. And if you use the code strategy356, you'll also get 10% off. Oh, we always love a good discount here on the Rookie Podcast. You can use that 10% towards your first investment property. <laughs> All right, guys, before we wrap here, I just want to give a quick shout out to someone that loves to say five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Um, this person says, best real estate investing podcast of all time. Uh, they say, I listen to the show every chance I get. I can't wait for the new episodes to air. I always find value in some way, shape, or form. I'm fairly new to real estate investing, and I love when you guys talk about partnerships. You guys always seem to have something I need to hear on a regular basis. Uh, I love the podcast. Keep on giving back. I can't wait to be on your show one day. So guys, if you haven't yet, please do leave us an honest rating review on whatever platform it is you're listening to. And we'd love to read your review here on the show for the rest of the listeners as well. And the user who left that uh, podcast review was Nick at REI216. So Nick, we appreciate you. Yeah, thank you so much, Nick. And Dave, thank you so much. Uh, another great podcast to listen to is On the Market Podcast. So make sure you go check out Dave and his crew as they talk about current and up-to-date information that you need to know as a real estate investor. Uh, today's episode was amazing and we learned all about starting with strategy and we went over through the five things that you need to start. So the first thing was personal values. Second was transactional income plan and how to present that. And then also completing a resource audit on yourself. Well, I hope you guys are having an amazing new year so far. I'm Ashley and he's Tony and we'll see you guys on the next episode. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals. Enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. 
There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.